0: I want to share a word with you, and um, I'm going to have you stand. We're going to go to Mark chapter 13. We're going to be in Mark 13 for the next few weeks. Living in the last days is the title of the message. But what I would like to do today, I'm going to go with you to Daniel chapter 9, 24 through 27, and I'm going to talk with you about Daniel's 70 weeks. Really an incredible, incredible prophecy. But I'm going to start, okay, don't go to Daniel yet. Go to Mark, chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. And here it says, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Jesus is referring to 70 A.D. when Titus and the Roman legions would come and destroy uh, the city and the temple. He's speaking here in 32 AD, okay? So it is uh, quite a few years before this would actually be fulfilled. So let's just pray. Father, open up our hearts and minds. We really need you to give us an anointing today in our minds, Lord God, to be able to assimilate and really understand this great prophecy. Lord God, it will enlarge our faith. It will increase our faith. One of the most truly incredible prophecies in all the Scripture. And I pray, Lord God, today, just again, we sit at your feet, Jesus, we open up our ears to your voice, we open up our eyes to fix upon your face, be glorified here today, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you can all be seated. So, J. Parton Payne, okay, in the Encyclopedia of Biblical Prophecy, listed 1,239 prophecies, in the Old Testament, 578 prophecies in the New Testament for a total of 1,817 total prophecies. These encompass about 8,352 verses. There are a total of 31,102 verses in the entire Bible. That, therefore, 27%, it's just about 26.8% of the uh, Bible is prophecy. Like I said this to you, the average church pastor in evangelical charismatic Pentecostal churches only preaches on about 3% of the prophecies in the scripture, which means that they're leaving out the other 24%. And um, that has never been the case, right, from the early days. We have never shied away from the scripture verses that talk about, you know, the future and the predictions of the future and prophetic things of God. So now I'm going to have you do is I'm going to have you go with me to Daniel chapter 9, to take a look at absolutely one of the most amazing prophecies that you will find in Scripture. It is mind-blowing. I've been studying it for 40 years. And i got to tell you, I still get my mind blown as I study Daniel chapter uh, 9, 24 through 27, and look at this this incredible prophecy. But I'm going to ask you to do something before we, we go there. What I want you to do, I want you to grab your shovel... Right? Because we dig. We're a digging church. We're not, a, if you've been here for any short am- amount of time, right? right. Um, we, we dig right into the scriptures. Kelvin, do we do that? Amen. Yeah, you've been around, right? We, we are a church that digs. We're not, you know, a shallow little sermonette. You know, they say that when you preach sermonettes, you get Christianettes. We're not interested in Christianettes. Shallow people. We're really interested in making disciples, making servants of the Lord. So uh, I want you to get your shovel because we're going to dig into the word. You're going to do some digging. You take some notes and uh, you'll walk away with some tremendous value. So Daniel chapter 9, 24 through 27. Gabriel comes to Daniel and he gives him this revelation. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for the holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make uh, reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublesome times. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off but not for himself and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end shall come uh, shall be with a flood and till the end of the war desolations are determined then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week but in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering and on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate that's again daniel 9:24 through 27. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to break this down into four key parts. You're going to have the scope, the big picture, the 69 weeks, and then you will see that there is an interval in the prophecy, and then finally the uh, the 70th week. So we begin with the scope, the scope, the panoramic view, the big picture. Let's get a big picture of the prophecy and you find that right there in verse 24, 70 weeks are determined. 70 sevens okay are determined now you got seventy times seven what does that equal good you guys are good you got you got some uh, mathematics and uh, multiplication there. It's 490 now the, the question is 490 what 490 days 490 literal weeks 490 months 490 years so it says 70 weeks are determined For your people, okay, who are those people? Who are Daniel's people? Israel, okay. And for your holy city, what what is Daniel's holy city? Jerusalem, right? Pretty simple stuff, you stop and think. To finish transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for inequity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, the end of, of revelations, and to anoint the Most Holy, to anoint the Meshach, the Messiah. So you have 490 years. Really, this is to come to the place of wrapping it all up, if you understand, wrapping up the very dispensation that we are in, in this, you know, this current time, and that Daniel was in, in his current time. So the, the question is, you know, 490 What? So there could be, when you look at the scriptures, when it talks about a week, you can have a literal seven-day week, obviously, days. And then you can have the Feast of Weeks, right? We were looking at this this past few weeks, the Shamata, from Leviticus chapter uh, 24 and 25, and that's uh, essentially 49, okay, weeks, uh, it could be months, uh, Nishi to Tishri, you find that um, in a number of places, Leviticus 23-24, uh, Exodus chapter 12-2, or it could be years, literally 77s or 490 sabbatical years, essentially, which is what you find in uh, the scriptures in, uh, in a number of places, mostly, in, again, in Torah, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. You do find it in Second Chronicles. So um, understanding, again, understanding the, the basic meaning here of this 70 weeks. Again, we, we have an advantage from where we are standing here today in 2022 because we have a thing called hindsight. and We can look back. In Daniel's time, Daniel was looking, you know, looking forward. So if you, if you look here, again, 70 weeks... Right uh, are determined for all these things to be fulfilled for this wrap up again to occur, and utilizing hindsight, we come to the conclusion it could not possibly have been days, it could not possibly have been literal weeks, and it could not possibly have been okay uh, a literal uh, you know just months, but it would have to be right 490 watt years, right. We come to that conclusion. Now, second, second key point. 69 weeks. So in verse 25, it says, Know therefore and understand. By the way, that's important. Know therefore and understand. The scripture says that for he who um, has not knowledge, right, pays a painful price. For they perish, they are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. So it's really an exhortation of the Spirit here. Know this and understand it. He's, he's talking to believers throughout the ages, Jewish as well as, as Christian. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, and that's, that's a, a key place that we have to find. When was the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem? Until the Messiah, the Meshach, the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Now, you get to do a little bit of math here. What are seven weeks? How many years does that come out to be? Seven times seven. Good. 62 times seven. Right? What is that? 434. Put them together. What do we have? 483. So, 483 years between when the command is made to rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah comes and it says here the street uh, shall be built again and the wall even in troubled times notice that when it is the command to rebuild the wall around the city and the streets it is not the command to build a temple so you have 483 years okay from the command to rebuild the city, right? The city's in ruins. 587, 586, Nebuchadnezzar came in, he totally destroyed the city. Daniel here is, um, Daniel is writing here sometime five forty-five thirty uh BC. And the city is, is desolate. The city is in ruins. The city has been destroyed. The temple's destroyed. The walls have been torn down. The streets are destroyed. And so here again, Gabriel is saying to Daniel, from the time of the command to rebuild the wall around the city and the streets, there will be 483 years until the Meshach, until the Messiah comes. So to understand that, the decrees to rebuild Jerusalem, and you know what, if you dig into this a little bit, and you start reading some of the books, you start listening to some of the things on the internet, it can get really confusing. Because there are teachers out there who will say, oh, it happened in 537 BC when Cyrus gave uh, the permission, essentially, to Ezra to go back and rebuild the temple, or Darius, or Artaxerxes in 558 BC. But those were not commands to rebuild the wall. They They were commands to rebuild the temple. So the actual command to rebuild the wall was given by Artaxerxes in 445 BC. And again, it was to build the street and essentially the wall or the moat you know, around the, uh, around the city, not the temple. And we see that and we have that in Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah was the cupbearer. That means that he tasted the food of Artaxerxes and if somebody poisoned it, he dropped dead. What a job, right? <laughs> we have the same sense of humor. It's not a job you want. You think your job stinks and you don't like your boss. I mean, imagine that. So in chapter 2, Nehemiah is before King Artaxerxes. And watch, watch what it says here. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan. Whenever you see a month named in Hebrew literature or in the scriptures... And a date, so it wasn't the 2nd uh, of Nisan or the 25th of Nisan, it's just Nisan. So whenever you see the name of a month, that means it was the 1st of Nisan. That's, that's our March. So it, it came to pass in the month of Nisan in the 20th year of Artaxerxes. We know that the 20th year of Artaxerxes was 445 BC. And you can go into the Encyclopedia Britannica and you can look that up and you'll find that. By the way, they were very careful. The ancients were very careful keeping records. They, they were very detailed. And you see this amongst the Jews, but you also see it in the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans. They were very detailed in these things. So essentially, it would have been in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes, 445 BC, when wine was before him, right? He's serving him the wine. That I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had uh, never been sad in his presence before. Well, you weren't sad in the presence of the king. he would kill you. (laughs) Cut your head off. Therefore, the king said to me, Why is your face sad since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid, and I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste, and its gates are burned with fire? And then the king said to me, what do you request? So I prayed to God, the God of Heaven. By the way, that's a great thing. When you go to your boss and you ask for a raise or you're trying to make a deal, you're trying to close a deal, right? It's something that that, that, that I do on a regular basis with people. Pray before. (laughs) Just ask God to bless it. Ask God to, to bless the decision. Ask God to bless the contract. So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king... And if your servant has found favor in your side, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may what? Rebuild it. Right? This is it. To rebuild it. Then uh, the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, how long will your journey be and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me and uh, I set him a time. Furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters, right? Documents. An edict. He's, he's now got a, a legal decision. This is, when, this is when the command was made, right on, uh, on this day. Right? Letters be given to me for the governors of the regions beyond the river that they, may, uh, they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. And a letter to Asap, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the city which pertain to the temple for the city wall. Right? It's the building of the city wall. Daniel 9, right, verse, verse 25. And for the house that I will occupy, and the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. So from, from the month of, of, of Nisan, the first day of Nisan, okay, in 445 B.C., let's go to our Gregorian calendar, and that would be March 14th, 445 B.C. Watch, folks. So, from the command, let me come over here. The command to restore Jerusalem, decree Artaxerxes, uh, March 14, 445 BC. You have 69, right? You have these 69 sevens. We use a Hebrew year. Hebrew year is different. Our year, how many days in, a, in the Gregorian calendar year? 365 and one quarter. That's why we have a leap year, right? February 29th, every four years. So the Hebrew calendar, you had 360 days. So when you take, again, the 69 times 7 times 360, you end up with thousand seventy say 173,880 days. Now, you have to take into account the period between March 14th and April 6th, that's another 24 days, and leap years in the Hebrew calendar, 116 days. So what you end up with is 173,880 days from the time of the decree of Artaxerxes on March 14th, 445 B.C. to the day Jesus entered Jerusalem. Pretty wild, right? And Jesus entered Jerusalem on April 6th, 32 A.D., and people say, well, Jesus, right, I'm showing you a picture here, I believe it's the triumphal entry, right, we call it uh, Palm Sunday, we call it Palm Monday, according to the, I believe, the scriptures. And um, people say, well, Jesus was, right, he was dedicated in Jerusalem, right, there was, he, was, he was in Jerusalem at 12 years old. He was in Jerusalem back and forth for the different feasts throughout his uh, three-and-a-half-year ministry. Why are you saying that it's when he entered into Jerusalem? Because this was the time when he entered into Jerusalem that he declared himself to be the Messiah. Remember he kept telling people, don't tell them. Don't tell people what I've done for you. Don't tell people who I am. But now, when he entered into Jerusalem, he declares himself to be the Messiah on Right? April 6, 32 AD, according to the prophecy of Daniel. So watch Luke chapter 19, verse 38 through 40. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Right? They're screaming this out. And some of the Pharisees called him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Right? Rebuke them for for saying that you're the Messiah. But he answered and said to them, I tell you, that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Right now Jesus is saying, yes, they're acknowledging me as the Messiah. He is Hosanna who comes, right, in the name of the Lord. He is the, the Meshach, Naged, who, who has come. And this is when he declares himself to be the Messiah. And it, it, it got him into a lot more trouble. But it was all planned by God. So watch, watch Daniel Daniel 9.26 so it says, right, Jesus comes in, declares himself to be the Messiah. Again, you have 483 years from the prophecy of, uh, of Daniel, and, and again, the, the edict to rebuild the walls to when Jesus entered in in 32 AD. And he says, and after the 62 weeks, right, Messiah shall be cut off, but not himself. By the way, 49, right, and then um, you, have, you have the 62. Seven times seven, 49. And then it has six. Let me explain to you why there's a breakup, and you have the 49 years and then the 434 years. Because it took 49 years for them to rebuild the temple. That's why the 49 is there. But it's a total of 483 years. And it says here, Messiah shall be cut off. What is that talking about? A few days later, he'd be crucified. By the way, it says the Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. For who? There was no sin in Yeshua. There was no sin. He was sinless. He was the sinless Savior. He's God in the form of man. There was nothing that he did that basically warranted him being cut off, but he died for us on the cross. And that's exactly what, what the prophecy is saying. Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself, but essentially for us. And by the way, the word there, Cut off is karath in, in Hebrew. It means to be cut down violently. It speaks about, about death. But he was cut down violently. He was crucified on the cross. Again, not for his sins, but for ours. And it's interesting because the word karath actually carries with it a concept of covenant. Pretty, pretty neat. So it's speaking of, again, Jesus being cut off for us. Dying for us as an atoning sacrifice to take away our sins. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, His righteousness is then imparted to you. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, your sins are then placed upon Jesus. When you die and you stand before God, He doesn't see you and all your sins, He sees the covering of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's a great way to go home, right? When you die. Try going there on your own. Good luck. Good luck. Try standing before God without that covering. And that is what God offers to all of us. If you haven't accepted the Lord Jesus into your heart, do that today as your Lord and Savior and receive that gift of his forgiveness, of his grace, of his mercy. Okay, third thing, you have an interval. Okay. So in verse 26, it says, And after the 62 weeks, right after the 483 years, uh, it says, the Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And there is an interval here. Now, what what happens is, in, in our Bibles, with the chapters and the verses, do you realize that the chapters and verses were not written by um, the original writers? They were added on. And in the 12th, and, it, and it's good. It, it does, like, hey, it's easy for me to say, Daniel nine twenty six. then, you know, then me say, hey, go, go you know, let's, let's search through Daniel to find the passage. It makes it simple, but when the, essentially those who added the verses and chapters, they didn't always do a good job with it. Remember I was talking a few weeks ago about the widow's mite. Right? And people are like, well, that's the way we should give. We should give sacrificially. It should cause pain for us to give. We should give everything we have. That's the way you're supposed to give. Well, you pull the verse out of its context, and that's what preachers have made it to mean, okay, through the centuries. That's not, that's not what it means. Jesus was essentially saying that the entire temple system had become corrupt, right? It was meant to be a house of prayer. It would become a den of robbers, and they were ripping off people, putting pressure on people, saying, "You know what? You need to throw your money into the, you know, the basket cuz that's what's going to get you to heaven." So this poor woman comes in and throws in her last two pennies, right? And then she goes home to die. And Jesus is pointing this out that this is a corrupt system. He wasn't commending the woman. She's deceived. Doesn't say anything about her salvation, doesn't say anything about her faith in Jesus, doesn't say anything about her heart. She's deceived. She's deceived by a false religious system. When she goes and does that, what does he follow up with? Matthew chapter 24, 1 and 2. Again, because of the break in the chapters, he says now this temple is going to be leveled and not one stone is going to be left upon another. But if you pull that verse out of context, and, boy, I'll tell you, for for preachers, it is just a tempting passage because you you get to twist a bunch of people's arms to give, 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 give. It's just, just crazy. But it's false. That's not what Jesus that's not what Jesus was saying. So again, here is an example of that. You have an interval in verse twenty six. It's talking about, right, four hundred and eighty-three years and the Messiah being cut off, and there is an interval between, right, those two sentences in verse twenty six of Daniel chapter nine. So it says, And the people of the prince who is to come. Now, that word there for prince is Naged, It's not the mashach. The the word used for the Messiah twice in the previous passages was clearly referring to Jesus. This is not referring to Jesus. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end of it shall be with a flood, and till the end of war, desolations are determined. Who is that talking about? Again, hindsight... Have a little understanding of history, where does it take us to? Right to where we started today in Mark 13, verses 1 and 2. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, do you see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. What is Jesus referring to to 70 AD? What, again, is Daniel referring to in Daniel chapter 9:26 when Titus and the Roman legions, okay, in 70 AD, they surrounded uh, Jerusalem, okay, and they destroyed the city. They burned the temple to the ground. One million Jews were killed. Another 98,000 were taken into slavery. The rest would disperse throughout the world where they had been until 1948 when you had the regathering of Israel. Not one stone would be left upon another. These are our scenes from when we were in Israel. Let me tell you, those are the original stones of the temple. By the way, if you're looking at the wall above, that is a retaining wall. That is not the original wall. There is no wall left from 70 AD because the Romans tore every stone down What happened was Titus did not want them to set the temple on fire because the temple was filled with gold. And when they set the temple on fire, the gold melted, it went between the rocks, and then the Romans spent a number of years scraping right those rocks to get and extract all the gold. But just again, the prophecy fulfilled exactly as Jesus said in this interval. Now there's another thing that happened in the interval, and you're a part of it what is the other thing that happened in the interval? So you got 483 years, and you still have one more seven-year period, so you have this interval. What happened in the interval? Jesus is crucified. Jesus is raised from the dead. you got about, you know, 38 years later, Titus comes and he destroys the temple. The diaspora of the Jewish people happens. What's been happening since? Because the seventh, the, the last year has not occurred yet. And believe me, you don't want to be here when it occurs. So, what's been happening over the course of all this time? What do we call it? What age? Church age. Church age. Right there. Where, th- th- this, this is the interval. You have, you have, the again, the prediction of when, again, uh, the wall is going to be built. You have the 483 years. Messiah is cut off. Church age, folks. Age of grace. The, the time of the Gentiles. I want to ask you a question. Do you think the apostles understood this? They didn't. When Jesus Jesus was ascending into heaven, right before the ascension, what are they asking Jesus? What are they asking? When are you going to restore the kingdom? They weren't. They weren't. They weren't. They wanted the kingdom of Israel restored, and it's going to be a long time before He actually does that, because we're now going to enter into the time of what? The time of the Gentiles. I mean there's some Jewish believers here but there's a whole lot of gentile believers here. I want I want to show you I want to show you an, inter- an interesting passage. Acts chapter 15 13 through 17. The Jerusalem Council. So it's now 20 years since the, the cross and resurrection. Paul and Barnabas go out and they're, they're bringing the gospel they're bringing the gospel right to Samaria to you know to Antioch to Asia Minor and people gentiles are receiving Jesus. Peter went out there and he's preaching the gospel and, and people are, the Gentiles are coming to Jesus in droves. And uh, the, the Jerusalem Council, the Jews have a problem with this. Some of the religious Jews are like, it's, it's coming to the Gentiles. The filthy, dirty Gentiles who are, who are fuel for the fires of hell. They're uncircumcised. How could the gospel be, you know, come, be, be coming to them? So there's this confusing uh, confusion in the church. Now, it says, and after they had become silent, uh, James answered saying, men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the, the first visited the Gentiles. Right? Peter stands up. Peter stands up now. He's no longer the, the, the flaky foot and mouth Peter. Now Peter's a leader. And Peter says, look, the gospel has come to the Gentiles. And Gentiles now are entering into the kingdom. Notice what he says here. I put it in red. To take out of them a people. You know what that's talking about? People say, well, well, where's the rapture in the Bible? I once had a Catholic priest say that to me. There's nothing about the rapture in the Bible. I said, well, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. How about Acts chapter 15, verse 13? He's talking about the rapture here. He's talking, he's talking about believers being taken. He's talking about the resurrection and the rapture. That the, the Lord, right, he, he is going to take out of them a people. Believers, right, for His name. Now watch, now watch what it says. And with this, uh, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, after this, after what? After the rapture. The rapture is he, he, he now take, taking the church home. All those who have died in Christ for the last 2,000 years, they're going to be resurrected. And then he, and then he says, after this, I will return. Notice what he's going to do when he returns. And we will build the tabernacle of David. What is the tabernacle of David? David didn't build a temple. The tabernacle of David are, are the Jewish people. It's, it's Israel which has fallen down and I will rebuild its ruins and I will set up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things. So after the church is taken out, the Lord is going to deal with Israel, which comes to the final week, right? The, the, the 70th week who knows some other names, right? We call it Daniel's 70th week. What are some other names that are given in Scripture for Daniel's 70th week? Trouble, tribulation, the tribulation. How about this one, right? Jeremiah uses Jacob's trouble. Whose trouble is it? Jacob's. Not the Gentiles. It's, it's, it's Israel, right? It's, it's their trouble, so look at verse 27. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. There's Daniel's final week. Who's he? Who he? Who he? Who is this talking about? This, this he who will make a covenant, right? and, and, and it could not be Titus right? And, and the Roman legions because there was no covenant ever made in 70 AD. But in the middle of the week, three and a half years, He shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate. You know, we call that the abomination desolation. Who committed the abomination desolation? Not yet. The Antichrist. It's a reference. By the way, again, the, the, the word here for prince is not Messiah. It's not Meshach. It's Naged. Even until the consumption which is determined is poured out on the desolate. So when we're going through, and we'll see this in upcoming weeks as we study this, Mark chapter 13, verse 14 through 20. Watch what Jesus says. But when you shall see the abomination of desolation. Right, so Jesus here is talking in 32 AD. He's saying, here's something of the future. Spoken of by Daniel, the prophet, standing where it ought not. Let him that readeth understand, and let them that be in Judea flee to the mountains. And let him that is on the housetop not uh, go down into the house, neither enter therein to take anything out of his house. And let him that is in the field not turn back again for to take up his garment. But woe to them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days, and pray that your flight be not in winter. Now watch this. This is important. There's a little difference. Mark and Matthew. And you look at Luke 21. Some people say, well, they're all the same. They're not. Now I'll show you this very clearly. Mark 13 and Matthew 24 are personal briefings that he's giving to the apostles. In Luke, it was a message to everyone. And there's a difference. Because if verse 19 through verse 20, watch this. For in those days shall be affliction such as was not from the beginning of creation which God created unto this time, neither shall be. The worst time in history, right, ever. That's what's being described. And except that the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he has chosen, he hath shortened those days. This will be an unprecedented time. Worse than World War I. Worse than World War II. Worse than anything that the world has ever seen. So, here again is a diagram. You have, again, the present church age. I believe we're here, folks. I believe we're here in this moment. And notice that this is where the rapture happens. Church is taken out. What happens to us when we're raptured during the seven-year tribulation period? You have the judgment seat of Christ. It's an award ceremony. What did you do with the time, the money, and the gifts that God gave you? Well, you're going to be rewarded or not rewarded during that time. And then you have the marriage supper of the Lamb, Revelation chapter 19. What's going on on earth is the seven-year tribulation. Next week we'll look at the beginning of sorrows. You have the abomination desolation and then the Great Tribulation. You can read about that. If you want a detailed explanation of it, read Matthew chapter 24, read Mark 13, read Revelation chapter 6 through Revelation chapter 19. It's called the Great Tribulation. Half the earth's population will be killed during that period. That's what the book of the Revelation teaches. Where are we? Well, I believe we're not there. I believe this is our experience. Watch 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses... um, Let me pick up. I'm going to pick up on... uh, I'm sorry. 2 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as uh, from us, as though the day of, had come, um, let no one deceive you by any means. I'm sorry, am I am I 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 through 4. <laughs> let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. A great falling away of Christianity. I think we're seeing it in our day and age. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who exposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. Who is that talking about? That's the abomination desolation. The Antichrist goes to the temple and he declares himself to be God. And again, we'll, we'll, we'll dig into that. This happens, again, smack in the middle of the tribulation. During the tribulation, the seven years, you have the seal judgments, trumpet judgments, and bowl judgments that are described in the book of the Revelation, chapter 6 through chapter 19. So that's Daniel's 70 weeks. You might want to watch this on YouTube or go to our website and watch it again because some of this stuff, it takes you a little while to kind of get it into your mind, but it's truly crazy. But what's neat, again, prophecy... It's always 100%. When God says something, right, that not one stone will be left upon another, there wasn't one stone left. When he said that Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, he wasn't born in Bayonne. When it describes that Jesus is going to have holes in his hands and his feet, Psalm 22, he had holes in his hands and his feet. When it predicted that Jesus would be raised from the dead, Isaiah chapter 53 and Psalm 16, he was literally raised from the dead. So when it says he is going to come for his bride to snatch us out of the world before we have Daniel's 70th week or a time of Jacob's trouble, you can bank on it. You can bank on it that the Lord will be coming back for his bride. You know the prophecy, when it makes that prediction? Again, number of places. The most famous place, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-18. I'll read it to you, and then I'm going to close. He says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. Lest your sorrow is others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who slept in Jesus. Person dies in Christ. Body goes into the ground. The soul goes to be with the Lord. Person's there, they're conscious, they're aware. They know who they are. They don't have a glorified body yet. They have a soulish body. Apparently they're recognizable. right? If You, you know the story of Jesus at the Transfiguration. Elijah was raptured. Who was the other guy that appeared with Elijah? Moses, he died. Moses had the spiritual body. Eliza, he had a glorified body. So it goes on here and it says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. The bodies go up and are united to the souls and they have glorified bodies like the bodies of Jesus. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. An entire generation of believers will not die. They will have the experience of Enoch. They will have the experience of Elijah where suddenly they will just be glorified and they will be with the Lord, no death. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Now watch what he says here. Therefore comfort one another with these words. What is he referring to? I believe what the, what, what the Holy Spirit is referring to in going through Paul is comfort one another with these words because you're not going to have to go through Jacob's trouble. You're not going to have to go through the 70th week. You're not going to have to suffer the tribulation. Yeah, Christians have died. Christians have been persecuted. They're being killed right now all over the world. But we will not go through the tribulation because that is where God is going to pour out his wrath and we have not, we have not been destined for wrath. And the wrath is right there. Revelation 6, Revelation 11, Revelation 16. The wrath of God is being poured. out. Oh, the wrath of Satan too. But we will not suffer wrath. So comfort one another with these words. What should we be doing now? Get ready. Are you ready? If he came for you today, are you ready? Is your life right with him? Are you walking with him? Is he your Lord and Savior? Are you ready if he is to come back right now, because you do not want to be left behind. And listen, I don't play play and manipulate. You, you, right now, it's it's an opportunity to manipulate the heck out of you, to make you terrified, to make you afraid. That's not going to bring people into the kingdom of God. You have to make the decision to take Jesus Christ into your heart for Him to be your Lord and Savior, and to begin to live with Him, to begin to live for Him, on a daily basis. And and not because you're, you're worried about being left behind, but because you've come to believe that he is the one who died for you on that cross and was raised from the dead, and that he is God, that he is the Lord, and that he is the Messiah. You take him into your heart today, and you receive his salvation, and it's the most important day of your life when you do that. And only you can do it. I can't do it. So, would you bow your heads with me? I'm going to pray a very simple prayer and give you the opportunity to pray and ask Jesus into your heart. But you have to pray it, folks. (laughs) You want that salvation, you want that forgiveness, you want that gift of eternal life. Ask Him right now Jesus, come into my heart. I receive you. I receive you as my God, as my Lord, and as my Savior. And I confess to you today, Lord, I believe you died for me on the cross to take away my sins and that you were raised from the dead to give me the gift of eternal life. I want you to keep your heads bowed. If you prayed that prayer this morning, all I want you to do is just look up. I mean, everybody's head is bowed. Nobody's going to be looking at you. But if you prayed that prayer this morning to take Jesus into your life, just lift up your hand and just acknowledge. Anyone... God bless you. God bless you, honey. God bless you, sir. A bunch of young people over here. God bless you. There's like five, six, seven people who raised their hand. God bless you. They raised their hand to take Jesus into their heart. God bless you all. Okay, let's stand. I want to ask is those of you who are being baptized, you can right now head out that door. We have people who are going to be there. They're going to get your your, your robe on you, and um, they'll get you all set up. So if you're being baptized, you can go right there. Diane's there. Sue will be there and then we'll meet you here in just a few minutes as, uh, as our worship team leads us in a final song.
1: Thank you, Pastor Frank. That seemed pretty complicated, but you made that pretty simple, so thank you. I've been studying math since I was young, and I'm an engineer. and It's hard. It's complicated stuff, but you, you made it simple. St- you, so start, you. you start
0: out here. And by this morning, it was like, Amen. maybe you would have liked it to be right here, but it was here.
1: <laughs> so the altars are open for you if you'd like to spend a little time quietly praying up here as we close in this last song. Uh, otherwise, just stay where you are and pray for those who are up here or whatever you like. <clears throat> in the morning. Lord, Lord when I All this world give me Jesus. Give me Jesus.
0: Bless the rest of your day and
1: be with you all in his fullness and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you all.